Good morning, everybody. So uh, we're going to start out a little bit differently this morning. So as you can tell, we are, uh, this is actually more people than I thought were going to show up. So thanks for being here. Uh, this is great. So uh, happy fourth weekend. Um, so Pastor Dan is out of town. And so we are so thankful that Daniel Crawford has showed up today uh, to pinch hit and to lead worship for us. Uh, Daniel is a friend. Um, I never had you in class, but your, your wife, your better half, uh, I had Kathleen in class, and so we are thankful for, for Daniel uh, this morning and for Kathleen leading us, and so uh, we're going to have a very stripped-down version today uh, as we start our series in the book of Haggai. So can I pray for us real quick before we get started? So Father, we thank you now for your love and your mercy. We thank you, um, Lord, that on this weekend we can come, Lord Jesus, and we can celebrate you. We thank you, Father, Son, Spirit, for your presence with us today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, for your love and your kindness. We thank you for all of these, these friends that you have brought into this place today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to set aside the, the cares of the world and to focus on you today, this morning, to be loved by you. We thank you for pursuing us. We thank you for your great grace. We pray that you would receive our praise and our worship today as an offering unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Without hope, with no place to begin, your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began, dash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was defeated and my life began Just sing, oh, your grace, oh, your grace So free washes over me You have made me your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you release from my chains I'm a prisoner no more shame was ransom he faithfully bore well, he canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now life begins with you. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoices though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. Oh, that's when death was arrested and my life began. 
Got a shout of praise in this place all across this morning.
here for worship and ask that you surround us with your powerful, life-changing presence. Thank you for loving each of us and for calling us to walk with you. We come before you as we meet and declare our dependence on you. Be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our words and conversations with truth and grace. We ask all of these things in praise and adoration of you. Amen. Good morning, Sunrise. How are we today? Okay, no one's good. Okay, all right, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Well, hey, we're glad that you're here and uh, just glad. It's just going to be a good week, right? It's just going to be a good week. I just have a feeling it's going to be a good week, right? But anyways, uh, I'm Corey. If we haven't met before, my name's Corey. I uh, get the pleasure to hang out with our students here between 6th and 12th grade at Sunrise. And uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you at some point after service. But anyways, we have a few announcements this morning. And just to go over them. uh, So this month, we are partnering with Love Your Neighbor and other churches to provide Um, school supplies and needed things for the kids at Jenison Junior High. Uh, You can pick up a supply list back in the lobby out there. Um, And I think there's like a little like progress tracker sheet out there I think I saw, which is pretty cool. So if you're like, hey, do they actually need something? You can look at it and be like, they do, right? So it's a great thing. So go ahead and check that out on July 15th. Uh, we are going to be partnering with B2Bins to fundraise for Sunrise. Uh, there are two ways that you can help. You can either volunteer that day at B2, and we'll need about five to six volunteers to go ahead and stop by, or you can shop at B2Bins on July 15, and a portion of the funds that are sold that day will go to Sunrise, right? So you're like, hey, not only can I volunteer and help Sunrise, but then I can shop and still help Sunrise, right? It's a double win. It's a double win, everybody. And the last thing is this, is there will be a women's prayer meeting on Tuesday the 11th at 11 a.m. under the tree in the back. All ladies are welcome, but there will be no child care available. If you have any questions, please reach out to Pam Nykirk. And I believe Pam is in the back. Pam, Pam's waving her hand. Everyone say, hi, Pam. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, hey, we also would love to remind you at this time of a great way that you can partner with Sunrise through your giving. Um, There are a couple ways that you can give. You can give by scanning the QR code. You can give in those beautiful boxes back there by dropping an envelope that Randy built for us, or you can mail it in through the mail. But anyway, Sunrise, we love you. We thank you, and uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kids to go back to service. And I believe we have a couple minutes to go ahead and stand up and greet those around you. All right, if you could make your way back to your seats. So glad to see that uh, many of you made it and survived the uh, fireworks displays and things last night. I, for one, went to bed at 10 p.m. last night, much to the chagrin of my bride. Uh, who calls me, among other things, a party pooper. I put my, uh, my, my headphones in. I listened to ocean sounds. Uh, that sort of drowned out all of the, uh, the, the fireworks. Uh, so I am a little bit bleary-eyed this morning, but I'm super excited uh, for us to start our series on the book of Haggai. 
Now, if you don't have any idea who Haggai is, you're in luck because today I'm going to spend the next several minutes introducing you to our good friend Haggai, the prophet. And it got me thinking. It got me thinking as we're, we're introducing Haggai this morning. How do people introduce you? No, no, seriously, like when you're meeting someone for the first time and, and someone is brokering an introduction, right? And so Bruce and I are meeting somebody and I'm introducing them to my friend Bruce. How do I, how do I introduce that person? And, and I think this is probably true for all of us, is that how a person introduces you is directly connected to the relationship that you have with that person, Right? Right, so, so depending on your relationship with the person that you're introducing, it changes how you present them to someone who's just encountering them for the first time. Well, Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, sort of serves as an introduction, not just to Haggai's prophecy, but to Haggai the prophet himself. And, and it, says, it says this, it says, in the second year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of um, Josadak, the high priest. So Haggai 1, verse 1, introduces us not just to a prophecy that's being given, but to the prophet himself. And so it causes me to ask, who is this Haggai that you speak of? Haggai, uh, for those of you that don't know, Haggai is listed among what we call uh, in Christian circles the minor prophets. Um, There's two different sort of sections of prophets. There's the major prophets and there's the minor prophets. Some call them the former and the latter prophets. But, But essentially, all those tiny books in the back of your Bible... Um, those are the minor prophets, right? Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi. Um, he's a contemporary. This might help you to situate him in time and space. Haggai is a contemporary of both Zechariah the prophet and a fellow that you may have heard of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's pal, Daniel. We're introduced to Haggai, but we're not given any kind of a, of a lineage. We're not told who he is or where he's come from. We're just given a few titles. We're told that he's a prophet. He's someone that, that basically foretells truth and brings information. A lot of times it's judgment and accusation. But we're told that he's a prophet of Israel. We're told that he is a sent one and he's sent from Yahweh. But a third of the time, throughout the book of Haggai, he's not given a title. He's just called by his name. Haggai. Just his name. It's interesting, for years and years, right, so being the pastor type of, of, of person, I've had people come up to me and say, when, when they introduce me and they're a part of the congregation, like they, they sort of hesitate and they're like, well, this is Pastor Dennis, or, or how do you want to be called? I'll have people, um, you know, ask me all the time, you know, what, what kind of title uh, do, do you want? And, and, and I'll sort of cut my teeth in ministry during a season where you didn't refer to the pastor by their first name, you referred to them as either pastor or pastor so-and-so. Anybody else in that? in that age bracket. So the first pastor that I worked for, he went to be with the Lord back in the fall. Um, And more than anyone else on this planet, Bill Pack taught me what it meant to pastor God's people. He taught me what it meant to work hard to minister the word of God to God's people. He taught me what it meant to press into some of the hard places. He taught me what it meant to, to stand eyeball to eyeball with somebody, to try to pay attention and to try to alleviate distractions. He taught me more than anyone else what it meant to be a pastor. But one of the things that was funny was that probably for the first year that I worked with Bill, I didn't know that he had a first name. <laughs> he was just pastor. Um, and, and, and me being me, right, it's a, a 22, 23-year-old sort of youth guy that was, I mean, you think I run around with my hair on fire now. You should have met me back then. Um, but um, pastor's mother also attended our church. Lola was, 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 she was just a precious lady in her 90s. Um, and I, I actually changed our answering machine one time, and I made some crack about the fact that Lola had all of this insight to name her son pastor. 
right? Who would have known, right? But this tiny little baby, I'm going to name you pastor, right? Um, I thought it was super funny, but Pastor Pack got the last laugh because he actually called his mother and said, hey, would you call Dennis and listen to his answering machine? <laughs> At which time I got a phone call from pastor's mother chastising me for not respecting my pastor. <laughs> oh, the days. So I went to his office and I'm like, you seriously told on me? And he was like, yes, young fella, I did. I told on you, and my mother yelled at you. Haggai's a prophet. Haggai's one that's sent from Yahweh, but at least a third of the time, Haggai is just Haggai. And, and this is really interesting, uh, because the name Haggai is sort of a compound Hebrew word. Uh, the first word is, is, is hag, and, and the second word is, is, is or the second little, little suffix is I, and I basically means my. It's, it's talking about, so, so Malachi is the same kind of construction, and, and Malachi literally means my messenger, right? But, but Haggai is interesting because we're not exactly sure whether Haggai is a formal name. Like, like, I'm not exactly sure if this is the name that his mom and dad gave him when he was born. Because it sounds very much like a, like a title. You see, Haggai literally means my festival or my celebration. What also makes this really interesting is that both of Haggai's prophecies that we're going to look at over the next few, few weeks happen or come on festival days within Israel. He gives one prophecy on the festival of New Moon, and he gives his second prophecy on the festival of Tabernacles. And so it's possible that Haggai wasn't exactly the name that this person was given by his parents at birth, but it has much more to say about his identity of who this man was. So it's possible that Haggai was a title, or it's possibly a nickname. Anybody have any nicknames around here? Right? Right? How a person introduces you tells you a lot about the relationship that they have with you. And regardless of whether or not Haggai was the name that his parents gave him, Haggai was who this man was. My buddy Jason that I went to seminary with, and for the last 20 years, uh, much to my joy and delight, we have talked on the phone at least once a week for the last 20 years. Jason, he always calls me Doc. Hey, Doc, what's going on? Drew and Caleb and Michaela, when, when, when they're trying to be funny, they'll refer to me as, as Dennis, and we get a good laugh about my children calling me by my first name, but the reality is, is there are three people on this planet that get to call me dad, and I would just prefer that they would use that moniker because that says something about our relationship. Precious Ruth Volth. Ruth Volth is, is a lady, one of our, our members at Bella Vista, and Ruth is in her 80s, and she and her husband were missionaries faithfully serving the seminary of the Christian and Missionary Alliance um, in Central America for 50 years. Ruth knows more about Jesus. She's forgotten more about Jesus than I will ever know. You cut Ruth and she doesn't bleed, Jesus falls out. But forever and always when Ruth talks to me, I'm pastor. I'm Papa Moles to a gaggle of water polo girls, and I'm Dino to my Uncle Manny. All of these names, they communicate something about me, but none of them are the name that Delmas and Linda Moles gave me. But here's, here's what they do. They communicate intimacy. They communicate knowledge. They communicate relationship. And while Haggai may or may not have been the name that the prophet's mother or father gave him, that's really not the point. The point is that the prophet's name communicates an essential truth about his message and his identity. Regardless of when he received it, regardless of whether it's a title or a nickname, Haggai is God's celebration. And this gets at the core of his prophetic identity. Haggai is one who was bent on prophesying and proclaiming the necessity of restoring the sacred system and temple worship within Israel. 
He was the one who called out over and over again that what the exile had robbed us from, God was beginning to restore. This is who Haggai is. Another question that we often will ask when we're introducing somebody is, well, where is this person from? Well, there's not a whole lot that we know, but here's what we we do know based upon um, our interactions with the prophet Haggai. Um, We know that he is from among God's people. He is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know who his ancestors are, and as such, we know that the land of Israel is his inheritance. This is his place. This is his space. We know that Jerusalem is the holy city, the mountain that God showed Abraham, the place where God provided the ram for the sacrifice, the holy ground upon which Moses received his calling, the holy hill upon which Moses received the commands, and now the holy city within which sets the representation of God's power and God's presence among the people, the temple. He, Haggai, like Daniel and his three friends, no matter where he grew up, never forgot who he was and whose he was. His identity as a son of God and an heir of Abraham remained core to his essence. You see, we don't know where this man was raised. We don't know if, if he was the descendant or the ancestor of someone that was, was carried off to Babylon. We don't know if he were, was some of the, the leftovers that was actually left in Israel, not good enough, smart enough, fast enough, or important enough to be deported into Babylon. But what we know is that God had his hand upon this man, that no matter where he was raised, no matter who his immediate descendants were, no matter what accent he spoke with, that this was his moment, that his entire life had led up to this point. For such a time as this, God had brought him to this place for this work to share in this part of the story. You see, Haggai had a part to play in the grand narrative or the grand story of, of God in Israel. Now, this, this is where things get, get, get a little bit hairy, and, and I know that, that, that some of you are like, okay, Dennis, this really sounds a lot like a, like a, like a history lesson. Well, there's a reason for that, because it kind of is. Um, but Haggai fits within a story. So, so often, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but, but I was, was raised in a church where I knew like all the Bible stories and all the Bible characters. Like, you could ask me any question. I was a killer at Bible trivia, right? If that Jeff Foxworthy show would have been around when I was a teenager, man, I'd have won a million dollars, or whatever it is they give away on that Bible trivia show. But here was the problem, is that I didn't know where anything fit together. I didn't know where Moses stood in relationship to Abraham or where Elijah and Elijah were situated. I I didn't know where the minor prophets were. And and so here's the thing. Haggai fits within a particular frame of the story of of Israel. This this is kind of how how this goes. So you have have Abraham who God comes to him in the patriarchal period. And so sometime around, oh, I don't know, 2000, 1800 BC or something, Abraham lives and he he marches around and God calls him. And and then the story of Israel uh, uh, continues uh, to progress and and, and, and it goes through the patriarchal period, and, and then Moses is, is brought to deliver uh, the Israelites from Egypt, and sometime in the 13th century or so, you see the Exodus take place, and then you march on down to David, and that's about 1,000 B.C., and then sort of after, after David, there, there's, there's a lot of struggles, and, 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 the, and the work of the prophet um, then becomes this, this work of, of, of asserting kind of judgment and calling people to repentance over and over again. Again, until finally we get down to about 722, which after years and years and generations and generations of the prophets calling the people of Israel to repent of their sin and to turn back from God, we, we see that the Assyrians come in and they take away the 10 northern tribes and carry them away into captivity. And while Judea continues to go on for, well, for several uh, more years, over 100 years, at, at about 605 um, 
BC, everything changes, and that's when the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, come in and they, they, they scoop up all of the royalty, Daniel and, and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And over the next 18 years, there's a time that's spent where there's a deportation of the people of God. Now, I know, right, if you're like me, what you think of is you think of when you think of the exile, right, Israel being carried away, you often think of there was an event, right? Nebuchadnezzar came in and everything was done. But no, this was an 18-year process, friends, of Israel losing everything, of losing all their hope, of losing all their identity, of losing all their protection from the walls of Jerusalem, of losing their way of life and their way of worship. 18 years, two decades, they watched and they watched and they watched. And this is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. This is why Ezekiel spends all of this time laying on his side and lamenting the fact that Israel now finds itself in this place of judgment. And after many years in Babylonian captivity, something happens. King Cyrus comes to power, the Medes and the Persians, Cyrus and Darius and, and Israel, they're, they're, they're allowed to go back and, 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 and they're sent in about ah, 537 or so, they're sent back on this first um, reintegration to come back and to rebuild the temple and Zerubbabel and Joshua are all sent back to do this work. And what's interesting is we often think, just like the exile, that it happened at one time and everything happened, but no, it was a two-decade process. The, the reestablishment or the reintegration or this beginning of the post-exilic period of Israel also took about two decades, about 22 years, actually. And Haggai was a part of this first reinstatement. He was a part of this first group. This is where he fits. And so he's coming back into this place where, where they're coming into Jerusalem and, and the place has been ravaged. And he's, he's finding uh, it difficult to try and, and meld together the old and the new, the people that saw the former temple and the people that, that, that have never seen the former temple. He's actually dealing with people that probably have all kinds of prejudice in their hearts and their minds based upon uh, where people are from and where they grew up. And for four months, for four months, Haggai actively ministers and communicates and prophesies. The man who was called my celebration comes and says, this temple, this house means more to you than your houses do. He calls people back to the wonder and the celebration of the presence and the power of God within the community. Four months. When you read statistics these days, people often lament the fact that, that, that pastoral tenures are very short. Right? 18 months for, for youth pastors, about three years, some say, for, for senior pastors, but how would you like for your ministerial tenure to be four months? But yet in those four months, Haggai called God's people back to their true identity. For four months, he pointed them toward the way, to the shadow that communicated the truer and better temple that was coming. This four-month ministry had such a significant, significant impact on Israel's story and Israel's history. Eighty years later, Ezra dedicates half of his book to telling the story. To telling the story of Haggai and Zechariah, of Zerubbabel, and Joshua. Well, here's what the prophet has to say. The first thing that Haggai does is he brings an accusation. We're going to unpack these things over the next several weeks in greater detail. But the first thing that he does is he, he brings this accusation and he basically tells the people that they have been caring for their own things more than they've been caring for the things of God. 
that they've been neglecting the things of God and paying much more attention to their own comfort and their own needs. They'd lost their way. You see, they were prioritizing their comfort over their calling. Secondly, we see that that Haggai, after making this accusation and the people repenting, he, he begins to un, address unmet needs and expectations. And in this, he gives prophetic hope. Here in just a couple of weeks, I, I think uh, this is, I think Corey's actually going to be handling this passage for us. But, but here in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to see how that there was a, a great divide. Now, this may come as a, a, a real surprise to you, okay? So, so buckle up. There was a great divide between the young people and the old people in Jerusalem. I know it's shocking, isn't it? It's shocking because they were rebuilding the temple, and here's what the older folks were saying. The older folks were weeping, and they were, they were beside themselves because this new temple was so inferior and so less beautiful than the one that they had experienced in their childhood. The world had changed. And it had changed out from under them. And they grieved the change in the world. But the younger people who had been raised in exile, who had been raised in Babylon, who, who were coming back now to the place of their ancestors, were coming back home. Finally, they looked and they said, this is glorious and this is wonderful because this is the place where we can meet God and Haggai presses into this place, uh, an issue that right, we, we don't have any problem with these days, right? And he addresses the unmet expectations and gives prophetic hope. How does he manage it? He essentially says, Jesus is this way. And in your joy and in your disappointment, let's head toward the truer and better. The next movement we see is that Haggai issues a call for covenant faithfulness. Again, something you probably don't hear very often from preachers standing on a stage. But Haggai looks at the people and he says, what you do matters. Your choices matter. So stop making the wrong choices. Right? It's like that great counselor, Bob Newhart. Stop it! Yeah, you can tell the older people that have seen that are like, oh yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> See, he issues a call to covenant faithfulness. See, we talked about a few weeks ago, you guys, and this is absolutely true, is that God is always the first mover of our salvation. He's the one that, that comes to us. But something that we often forget, I think, especially in this part of the world, is that there were conditions that were placed upon the covenant. Is that part of the reason that Israel was carried away and they found themselves in exile in the first place was because that they didn't uphold their side of the bargain. Yeah, God was the one that made promises and God was the one who was going to fulfill his promises. But the reality is, is that what I do and the choices I make and what you do and the choices you make, they matter and they have consequences. Can I get a witness? And Haggai points this out to the people. So much so so much so that he says, you think you're so much better than the people back there that were doing all of those things? Your neglect to do what God has called you to do is just the same. Which is really interesting, right? Because we do this all the time, right? Somebody points out our sin and we say, well, I'm not like Hitler or Osama bin Laden. Which is like, those are the high water marks. <laughs> but it's like, you, know, you never hear somebody say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not great. I'm not. I'm no Mother Teresa, right? We compare ourselves to the worst of the worst, and he's like, no, no, no. Here's the reality: is is that that so often I think you guys as humans, what we do is we have expectations for others that are here, and we have expectations for ourselves that are here. That when we sin, we want grace, and when others sin, we want justice. Boy, and Haggai, 
that open wound, and you're like, ooh, right? That open wound, that Haggai just sticks his finger right in that. The fourth thing that Haggai teaches us or, or tells us is that he issues a call for covenant faithfulness, and then he reminds the people of God's coming kingdom. And this is the thing, right? He reminds them that there's hope. In the midst of all these unmet expectations, in the midst of all this struggle, in the midst of, of all of these things that are swirling around, in the midst of the fact that things still aren't the way that they're supposed to be, he tells the people of God's coming kingdom. And in this, there are a few things I think that Haggai teaches us. As we look through the book of Haggai, I want us to, to remember and I want us to, to focus on, and we're going to unpack some of these things as we get down the road. But remember this, is that Haggai teaches us, friends, that God always comes to us within our specific cultural context. And here's, here's, what, here's what I mean by that. Is that I don't know when this happened, but I got old at some point over the last few years. And I find myself being more nostalgic now than I used to be. Is anybody else there? Right? I find myself being nostalgic, right? I'll find, and, and, and this is what this will happen. Sometimes I'll fall down the YouTube rabbit hole, right? And when I fall down the YouTube rabbit hole, I almost always am listening to Southern gospel music or something like that. And I'm like, why is it? Because for me, it's like a warm blankie, right? They just kind of curl up. It's like, oh, man. Listen to that or listen to this, right? But, but, but here's the thing is that so often, you guys, we look around and we live in a world where everything seems to be changing, where the ground seems to be shifting, where things aren't the way they're su- supposed to be. We, we, as evangelical Christians, seem to be losing ground or, or, or losing the ability to influence or, or in some way losing uh, the ability to make the rules or, or privilege or whatever you want to look at it like that. But, but I wonder if, if the opportunity here isn't for us to throw our hands up in the air and complain that things aren't the way they used to be, but to look at the opportunity to love God by loving our neighbor in such a way that says God has something for me to do, something for me to say, and he is building his kingdom in this time and space. He has put me here for his purposes, and I don't have to like it. Right? God always speaks in his cultural context. And here's the thing, you guys, we have to remember is that God always accommodates to us. Always. Every time God speaks, he makes an accommodation because when the infinite comes to the finite, when the creator comes to the creature, he's the one that's making the move. The second thing is that I want us to remember that God has something to say to us if we're willing to listen. We saw in this this very introduction, it says that the word of the Lord came to Haggai. I wonder um, how my life would change is that I would, how my life would change if I would listen more closely to the things that I hear God saying. Right, we read the Bible, we we study, we, but, but, but what would happen if I really took heart and I really listened? If I wasn't the hard-headed teenager that had to be told over and over and over and over and over again. But that God has something to say. And here's the thing. God will say things to us, folks, often in some of the most surprising places that there are things that he has to teach us if we will only be willing to listen. And the third, third thing I think that Haggai has to, to teach us is this, is that God's ability to say something through us is more dependent upon our surrender and less dependent upon our gifts, abilities, or titles. Let me say this again. God's ability to use you to communicate through you has much more to do with your and my surrender than it does where we're from, the titles that we hold, the gifts that we possess, or the skills that we've honed. 
Am I willing to lay down who I am to be who God has called me to be? Daniel and Kathleen are going to come and, and, and get our final song here, but, but, but I wonder, you guys, as we're, we're sort of setting up and we're thinking about, about Haggai, we, we have this guy that, right, he comes and he, he brings an accusation. He addresses unmet expectations. He gives prophetic hope. He calls people to faithfulness, and he reminds them that there is a kingdom that is coming. And I, and I, and I wonder if he has something to say to us who live in a world that seems to be turned upside down. <laughs> to live in a place where we don't have a whole lot of power and we don't have a whole lot of say so, but maybe, maybe difference is made through surrender and not through coercion. That maybe, maybe people will be much more apt to listen to me, not because I bear a title of pastor, but because over long years and long months of relationship, they know this. They know that I love them and want the best for them. So as we, we come into this space, here's what I would ask you to, I would ask you to do. Is that we're going to pray here in just a minute, but I would ask you that as we, as we, as we sing this last song to maybe lay out before the Lord this willingness to hear what he has to say to us through his word. For certain, Haggai came to God's people in a particular cultural construct and, and all the things that he has to say to them are not going to be directly ap applicable to us, but, but there are truths. Truths about choices and truths about obedience, truths about, about surrender, truths about character, truths about hope. that my friends are just as important for us today as they were for the Israelites in Haggai's day. That we would be the people in this place, in this space that would extend the celebration of God to those that are around us. So Father, we pray in this moment that you would be with each and every one of us. That you would meet us. That you would care for us. And Lord, you would speak. And that we would listen. Because you have things to say to us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. with me this morning. The reign of darkness now is ending. In the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of light. Forever under your dominion. You're the king of my life. You're the king of my life. You put out your life just to give us new life. Now from the lips of the forgiven, hear an anthem arise. Jesus, your
The darkness run out of an empty grave, seated alone in glory, enthroned in the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running. So the next few weeks for the benediction, we're actually going to talk and we're going to reach into some of those contemporaries of, of Haggai. And today, I, I want, to, want to reach into the, to the man Nehemiah with, with your benediction. In, in Nehemiah, we, we see that he's, the temple's been restored, but the city is still in, uh, in shambles. And he comes and he surveys the walls and He's receiving threats from the, the kings that are around, and he, he calls the people together. And he asks them to look around. And he tells them to stand, to stand and to do their work for the sake of their wives and their sons and their daughters. You see, as the world was pressing in all around them, what Nehemiah did is he, he asked God's people to lock eyes with the folks that meant the most to them. And he said, do your work for the people that matter. And so, as we enter this time of looking at the prophet Haggai, don't just learn from the prophet as an academic exercise, but think of those you love who need to know and experience the celebration of Almighty God in their lives. So, Father, we thank you for these friends. We thank you for this day. We pray that you would go with us. We thank you for the time of celebration that we are participating in in our country. Father, we thank you that we would, Lord, remember, Lord, the ideals that the framers laid down and that we would finally and fully begin to live into those things. We thank and we praise you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.